Welcome again. We are uh, glad that you're with us today. Hope everybody is doing well. And so if you've got a Bible, let's go to John chapter 15. I said last week, before we get into another series, it's just a couple words that uh, feel like a need to <clears throat> kind of emphasize to us. I just kind of laid this on my heart here at the beginning of the year. The words abide and then the word uh, steward. <clears throat> so, excuse me, let me ask you a question. Anybody like your life goal, your life plan is to waste your life? So if, if the answer to that is no, then what would go along with that then is that we want to live a productive life, a fruitful life, hopefully a, a God-honoring life. I mean, hopefully we want to live a life that's going to last. Okay, so let me ask you another question. Don't, don't answer out loud, but how many of you make New Year's resolutions? Then if you do make New Year's resolutions, how many of you, the New Year's resolutions don't answer out loud are already out the window? <laughs> I mean, statistically speaking, for most people who make New Year's resolutions, they're gone by now. And, I mean, most of us want to do better. Most of us know the kind of things that we ought to do, that we need to do, the question then becomes, though, how do we move from I ought to do this to I actually do this? I, I can resonate with the Apostle Paul, and, and I think most of us can, really all of us can. What he said in Romans chapter 7, I'm kind of paraphrasing. You know, the things that I want to do, the things I ought to do, I don't do. The things that I hate, those are the things that I end up doing. Who's going to deliver me from this? And he ends up saying that the answer to that is Jesus Christ. And so, of course, the, you know, the church answer is always Jesus, but how does that actually work itself out in our lives? And so that's really what we're going to talk about this morning. If we want to live a fruitful, God-honoring, lasting life, the, the key to that is to actually abide in Christ, which is how we bear fruit. And, and, and so... I think a lot of times when we approach issues or we try to solve problems, we look at the outward stuff. We actually look at the fruit kind of issues instead of dealing with the root kind of issues. And so while we're talking about fruit today, really what we're going to try to do is to get to the root of things. So we're going to look at John 15, 1 through 8 this morning, but let's read one verse later in the chapter just to kind of set this up. John 15, 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. That's a powerful verse. I mean, we just didn't wake up one day and say, hey, you know, I think I want to be a Christian today. He chose us. And he chose in, in us and appointed us that we should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And so I understand here that the fact that God chose us then ties to the kind of fruitful life that he wants us to live and then answered prayers tie in to uh, this kind of fruitful life that he wants us to live as well. So in other words, not God's preferred future, but God's sovereign will for your life that he chose you for 
is that you live a fruitful life. Now, the question then is, how do we do that? Well, let's read the first eight verses of this chapter. Jesus speaking, this is some of his final teaching before he goes to the cross. And so he says this, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, the word abides used in this passage a lot. The word fruit is, is used a lot. And so abide means to remain in or to be close to. to. To remain in or to be close to. So to understand the passage, we have to understand that. But when we talk about abiding, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about how we're to live as Christians. We're brought into a union with Jesus in salvation. We're to live in communion with him as believers. This is about our, our growth and our usefulness, our, our fruitfulness. So, verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. And it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to kind of just give you an overview of of this passage, the analogy that uh, Jesus is using here. Then I want to drill down and just give us three truths from these verses that will hopefully help us to see the motivation and the how-to for abiding in Christ. So if you go back to verse 1, Jesus says, I am the vine. And and I am is a very significant phrase. This is the the seventh time uh, in in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am something. Uh, Here, I am the vine, but he said, I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world, those kind of things. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But I am is a claim to deity. If you go back to John chapter 8, uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees, basically that, you know, my name is I am. And, and, and there's two very significant things about that. One, if you go back to Exodus 3, when Moses asked God his name, uh, Moses said, tell him that I am that I am. So Jesus was claiming to be Yahweh. Uh, also, basically what, what this phrase means uh, is that he's eternal, he's self-existent. And so Jesus here is claiming to be God, and when he says, I am the vine, Israel in Scripture is called the vine. And, and, and these uh, good Jews, these disciples, you know, they would have found their identity and much of their life rooted in you know, being Jewish. But Jesus says, ultimately, your life and your identity are are not in your your ethnicity, not in your nation. Your life and your identity are found in me, your God. 
And so understand, when he uh, invites us to abide with him, to remain in him, to be close to him, this is God incarnate giving us that invitation. So read it, hear it in, in, in that context. And so as you look at this passage, there, there's three characters. Jesus is the vine. The Father is the vine dresser or, or the gardener. And believers, us, if you're a Christian, are the branches. And I, I think really the analogy here is pretty simple. He says we can do nothing apart from him just as a branch disconnected from the vine can do nothing. And, and, and so, I mean, if you think of this in, in a farming analogy or a gardening uh, metaphor, the life is in, in the vine, the life is flowing through the vine into the branches, which is what produces fruit, but if the branch is disconnected from the vine, there is no life, uh, there is no fruitfulness, because the branch can't uh, have that or produce that on its own. It's the fruit is produced through the branch by the vine. Does that make sense? I mean, maybe the, the, this picture kind of you know, it illustrates it for us. You've got the vine, Jesus, the Father, the vine dresser, who, who's pruning, who's working on it. And then the branches are us. But, you know, some of the, the first work that I did, if you believe I really do work, is, uh, was on my grandfather's farm. And, I mean, probably the hardest work I've ever done is actually cutting and hanging tobacco. I mean, that's some nasty, difficult work. And, but, you know, they have fruit trees and they raise vegetables and potatoes and different things. But you plant a seed and, and, and the vine or the tree comes up. But whatever that seed is, is ultimately going to produce the fruit. But at some point, if the branch got cut off from the vine or the tree... It's not going to be bearing any fruit. It just doesn't happen. And of course, uh, and, you know, we're not as familiar with grapes as they would have been. But I mean, if you go to Israel, there, you know, these, these massive grape vines, all these kind of things. I mean, this would have been a readily accessible analogy to the people that Jesus was speaking to. And, and so they would have certainly known that once you cut off the branch, there's not going to be any fruit that comes from it. Now, here's the good thing about this, I think. A lot of times we complicate things, right? You ever complicate things? Life's complicated. And, and, and a lot of times, um, you know, what's difficult about life, uh, I, I got frustrated yesterday because I was trying to do several things at once. Okay, what this does, sometimes, you know, we can really complicate the Christian life. But what this says to us is really our job is to abide in Christ and to let him produce the fruit through us. We don't have to go and, and, and try to do it on our own. Now, before we look at these principles in this passage, it probably makes sense for us to maybe define what we're talking about when we talk about fruit. And I think in some sense, anything that Jesus does in us and through us 
could be classified as bearing fruit to the glory of God. But I find, and maybe there's more, but I've found five specific particular things in the New Testament that the Bible actually names as fruit. Now, again, the, the temptation here would be for us to hear this and go try to be fruitful. And, and, and that's not the idea. The idea is to abide in Jesus and let him do a work in us and, and, and through us. And, and I'm not saying that we can't counterfeit these things. We can't, in, to some degree, maybe at least for a short term, manifest these things in the flesh. But if they're real, it's something that Jesus is doing in and, 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 and through us. So, what are we talking about when we talk about fruit? One thing would be godly character, the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the Bible tells us to walk in the Spirit. It tells us to be filled with the Spirit. To me, those things are essentially the same as abiding in Christ. But Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The character of Christ. So as we abide in Christ... His character, then, is manifested through us. And again, I want you to notice something. Aaron, if you put the first half of the verse back up, notice it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit singular of the Spirit. It's kind of like a cluster of grapes. So again, the idea here is don't hear this and be more listening. Say, oh, I need to be more loving, or I need to have more joy, just like saying I need to have more joy is going to make you more joyful. Or I need to be more patient or have more peace or whatever. No, it's fruit singular. It's kind of like a cluster of grapes. When we're abiding in Christ, His character, these different things come out of us. The fruit of the Spirit. And so, I think out of these five things I'm going to show you here, this is the hardest one to counterfeit. Oh, we can come to church and put our religious, churchy face on, and we can fake it in front of each other, but our family knows whether or not we have the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Your spouse, your kids, the people you work with, the people you spend the most time with. Second thing the Bible talks about as fruit is leading others to Christ. Romans 1.13 says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. He's talking about the fruit of seeing people come to faith in Christ. If, if, if Jesus is in, in control of us, if he's living through us, he's going to prompt us to tell other people about him. And there's a good chance that some of those people sometimes are going to come to faith in Christ. And that's fruit. Here, here's another way. Giving. You know, being generous is a manifestation of being controlled by Christ, the, the fruit of it. Here, again, here's what the Bible says, Romans 15, starting in verse 26. It says, It pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. 
It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. In other words, they're taking a generous offering to help their brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul calls this fruit. In other words, he's saying giving is not a root issue. It's a fruit issue. It's a manifestation of a heart overflowing with Jesus. So, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago we did the 20th anniversary celebration. And the next day we actually had uh, pastors from the uh, local Baptist association here and, and had lunch and showed them the video. And, and the man who was the director of missions who uh, helped us, the Old Chucky Association, sponsor us financially. We're planning True Life. He was here. He wasn't able to be at the, the 20th anniversary celebration at Carson Newman. But, but he said a few things that night, and, and, and he talked about, like, the first time him and his wife came to visit True Life. And he said, you know, I, I was wearing a suit and tie. She's wearing a dress. Everybody else wearing jeans. And he said, and, and they didn't take up an offering. And um, he said, I, I thought, they're not going to make it. <laughs> but he also said, we don't pass offering plates anymore in our church either. And, uh, you know, you say, well... Do you not think giving's important? And honestly, something I should do a better job of for new people is telling you how you can give. If you want to give, there's offering boxes in the door. Probably most people by the doors, not in the door, by the doors. Probably most people give online, and you, know, you can go through our webpage or our app, and there's ways to do that. But, but here's the reason we don't harp on giving a lot. We talk about it in the membership class and preach about it occasionally. I think it's really important. It's, it's part of our worship. But, but the reason we don't harp on it a lot is because I don't want to twist your arm into doing something. I mean, the reason we don't pass the offering plates, it really wasn't my idea, but some of the people in core group said a lot of times when you're passing offering plates in church, you feel like you ought to give because somebody next to you is watching you, and we wanted to remove that from the equation. But, but really, uh, giving is the overflow of a heart filled with Jesus, and if we're right with Jesus, we're going to want to give. I think that's what it boils down to. So, uh, you know, that's the heart, that's the root of the issue. You know, the actual giving is a fruit kind of thing. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know who gives, what people give, those kind of things, but I know our giving keeps growing. So for those of you who are being generous, thank you. Uh, number four, the Bible, Colossians 1.10 says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So what's fruit? It's good works. Good deeds that glorify the Lord, serving Him, serving other people. And then number five, it's praise and worship. Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. So, in other words, if we're abiding in Christ, the overflow of that, not just on Sunday morning, but in our lives, what's going to come out of our lips is praising Him, thanking Him. There's a song in our hearts. There's a desire to glorify Him. So, if we want to know whether or not we're abiding in Christ, what's coming out of our mouths, how are we serving Him, what kind of good deeds are we doing, uh, are we generous, 
Are we sharing the gospel with others? What's our character like? If we're not sure, maybe we ought to ask those that are closest to us. Again, we can fake this maybe for a time, but if it's real, it's Christ in me, living through me, that's producing this. That's the idea. See, each and every one of us naturally are sinful. We're a product of original sin. We're depraved, which doesn't mean that we're as sinful as we can be. doesn't mean outwardly everybody's equally sinful. It just means that every part of our being is marred and affected detrimentally by sin. Now, that gets manifested in different ways in different people. If I wasn't walking with the Lord, I probably wouldn't be like some kind of party animal. No, that may be shocking to some of you, but um, that that's probably just is not how it would uh, manifest uh, for me. Thank you, Travis. Um, but <clears throat> there are other ways. Um, you know, I'm naturally selfish. I'm self-centered. I'm not like some kind of just naturally generous, uh, kind of caring about other people kind of person. Robin's that way, much more so than I am, although you all probably ought to know uh, if some of you may have heard this story before. You know, she said some nice things about me at the 20th anniversary celebration. But like, we're preparing to plant the church. One of the things I did, I should have done it before we decided to do this, but like I said, we backed into a lot of things. But uh, I did a church planner assessment. There's like 13 areas they assess you in to see if you're actually wired to be a church planter. And um, because, I mean, it's a unique skill set. I mean, there's some people, they could be a great pastor, but they're not wired to plant a church. It's kind of two different things. Uh, fortunately, I, I did well enough that, you know, some people sponsored us financially and thought, you know, really wire, actually wired to do this or whatever. But they score you one to five in these areas. I got one five. It was in spousal cooperation. <laughs> so there's like empirical proof that Robin is my best asset. Um, you know, if, if she were me and we were having a discussion, I'd just say, I'm your five. You should just do whatever I tell you to do. But, uh, again, she's godlier than me. But anyway, um, what I'm saying is, you know, it's like she's naturally generous. I'm like naturally a cheapskate. Um, I mean, she naturally, like, wants to serve other people. I naturally want to serve me. I want you to serve me. Um, and I just keep, but what I'm saying is, if like I, I enjoy giving now, um, you know, if, if I'm serving you in some way or you know, sharing the gospel or whatever, these things we talked about, it's not me, it's Christ in me. I'm naturally angry. If I'm, uh, you know, peaceful and joyful and in. It, it, that's because I'm in the spirit. When I'm in the flesh, I, I do something like I did yesterday when I slammed a cabinet because there's one, this one cabinet in my house that absolutely drives me crazy. And so I slammed the door of the cabinet, you know, because I'm real mature and godly like that all the time. <laughs> that's me. When there's love and joy and peace and generosity and those kind of things, that's Christ in me. 
that's when I'm abiding in Him. And, and that's the idea of fruit. So, just three truths from this passage with that as the, the setup. Number one, the purpose of bearing fruit is demonstrating that we are disciples and glorifying God. Jesus said, Matthew 7, 20, Therefore by their fruits will you know them. So, you, you ever like met somebody or like tried sharing the gospel with somebody? And it's like somebody from knowing them, you thought, man, this person is not saved. But they tell you that they're saved, and they tell you about some kind of experience they had, but it's like, maybe you're not saying this, but you're thinking, man, I've never seen that before. Uh, I mean, you don't seem to act like a Christian to me. And, and that's the idea. Our, our fruits are, show people whether or not we're disciples. But again, our fruit if we're abiding in Christ, and, and there's godly character, and, and, and we're witnessing, and, and we're giving, and we're doing good works, and, and, and these things that we saw in Scripture, that glorifies God if it's being produced by Christ, if it's being done for the right motive, and, 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 and if we're telling people that it's Christ, it's not me. Because like, if, if we're doing some good stuff and then pointing at us, that doesn't glorify God. If we're just doing good stuff and we're not saying, no, this isn't who I am. This is Jesus in me. That doesn't glorify the Lord. But when we say, you know, I'm a sinner. Anything good about me is Christ in me. It's what he's done for me. It's what he's doing in me. That glorifies God because it, it shows, it, it gives him the credit for it. If, if we're trying to take the credit for it, that's undoing whatever good that we think that we've done. So the purpose of bearing fruit, it's not for us, it's for our testimony to others, and it's for the glory of God. So the idea is to live in such a way that people can see Christ in us and live with the motivation of glorifying God by the way that we live, live as living sacrifices, living to worship and to honor Him day in and day out. And then church, as we gather together, just becomes the overflow of that. Number two, the means of bearing fruit is abiding in Jesus. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, just this analogy, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then verse 5, I'd really encourage you to, to memorize this verse. I have about half a dozen verses that most mornings, at least some of those are just kind of in my mind to try to focus me for the day. This is one of those verses. I am the vine, you are the branches. He's God, I'm dependent on Him. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, and I in Him, brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Do we really believe that? Without Him, we can do nothing. You say, does that mean literally everything? Well, in some sense, yes. You say, well, do I need Jesus to brush my teeth? Well, you need Him to give you the breath. But, but I think most specifically what it's referring to is if we're going to bear fruit, if we're going to do anything lasting and worthwhile, it's independence on Him. It's Him living through us. 
So the idea here is that salvation brings us into union with Christ. We're to live in communion with Him. When we get saved, when we repent of our sins and place our faith and trust in Him, we know Him, we have a relationship with Him, then He's calling us to live in fellowship with Him, to live in dependence upon Him, uh, to allow Him by His Spirit to live through us. <clears throat> so... Let's just use marriage as an analogy of this, okay? So when you got married, when Rob and I got married on May 12, 1990, we entered into a union. There's a covenant. There's a relationship. That's unbreakable in the eyes of God. I mean, that relationship doesn't change. It's, it's there. It's solid. It's, like I say, it's a covenant. If we're in Christ, God has made a covenant with us. We're in Him. He's in us. I mean, one of the most incredible truths of the New Testament is the union we have. We're in Christ. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's based on what He has done for us. It can't be taken away from us. And so, like in marriage, Robin and I, have a relationship. It's a covenant. That's not going to change. But the fellowship can change. Like when I slam cabinets. <laughs> or, you know, depending on how much time you're spending with one another, how you're communicating, how you're treating each other. That can be up and down. Just like, not based on his side, but on our side, we can be up and down in our relationship with God. You know, in a good marriage, I think there's going to be dedicated time for one another. You're going to date each other. I know it's hard when you have little kids, but you're going to set aside you know, time each day to be with each other. It's one of the advantages of being an empty nester. That's a whole lot easier to find. Amen? Some of you are enjoying that too, right? Um, but... You know, so there's that specific time. But then, you know, I think in a good marriage, as much as you can, and, and, and in some, uh, you know, work situations, maybe it looks a bit hard, maybe it's a little bit harder, but hopefully you're communicating some throughout the day. You know what I'm saying? How's your day going? You know, if that's the wife asking the husband, it's probably going to be like, it's fine. And she's going to be like, that's all I get. Ladies, can I just help you out? This is a little aside. Can I just give you the male translation of that? It's fine. Normally means there's nothing so exciting I need to tell you about it now, or there's no problems you need to know about right now. It's just an average normal day. Is this true? Okay, if you ask her how her day's going, you may not have time to read all the text, right? But, you know, how's your day going? You know, anything I can do for you? Oh, you know, pick this up on the way home or whatever. Or it may be, you know, you won't believe what my boss did today. Or these kids of yours, in all caps, are driving me uh, crazy or whatever it may be. Or you may, if you're lucky, you may get a flirty text some days, you know. But what I'm saying is there's concentrated time, but then there's ongoing communication. And I think, you know, in the Christian life, if we're smart... We'll get up and spend some concentrated time with Jesus and just establish that fellowship. And then to abide in him as we can live throughout the day 
in an ongoing communication with Him. If we're saved, we're in a union with Him, in a relationship with Him, but we're called and, and invited and have the opportunity to live in communion and fellowship with Him, the great I Am. And we shouldn't take that lightly. So, just real practically and specifically, how do we do that? Well, let me just point out some things from this passage. Number one, you have to have a relationship in order to abide. You can't have communion without union. So make sure that you're saved. Are you trusting Christ? Do you know Him? Second, to confess sin. Now, why is this important? Well, verse 3, he says, you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, he's saying, if you're already clean, why do you confess sins? Well, remember, Scripture interprets Scripture. So let's go back just two passages, two chapters, uh, John 13, where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And, and, and just read a few verses there. It says, then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Here's what he's saying. If you're saved, you're, you're cleansed, you're forgiven, you have the righteousness of Christ, that settles our relationship. But for the purpose of our fellowship, we still need to be cleansed, have our feet washed from the daily stains of sin that come into our lives. So in other words, if we want to abide in Christ... Confess our sins. Ask Him to forgive us. Don't wait till the end of the day. Don't you know, make just some kind of blanket confession of sin. There's no power in that. But like, if we think a wrong thought, ask the Lord to forgive us. If we say a wrong kind of thing, ask the Lord to forgive us. If we don't do something He tells us to do, ask Him to forgive us. Whatever it may be, and that restores the fellowship. It's not about the relationship, but it's about the abiding in Him, the communion with Him. Three, live in dependence on Jesus. Remember what He said at the end of verse 5? Without me, you can do nothing. It honors Him when we depend on Him. How do we depend on Him? We trust Him and we obey Him. We go to Him even about the seemingly little things of life. He wants us to rely on Him. Uh, and again, that's that ongoing fellowship. We depend on Him. Again, it's not like you know we come to church on Sunday and we listen to somebody preach and then we just are on our own through the week. It's not even that we get up in the morning, maybe we pray and we do our version devotional and then we just go live our day. He wants us to live all day in dependence upon Him, acknowledging that we can't do it on our own. I can't be the Christian God wants me to be on my own. I can't be the husband that he wants me to be on my own. The, the parent, the pastor, whatever it may be, 
It's not something we can do on our own. It's Christ in me. It's Christ living through me. But if we're disconnected from him, not depending on him, in sin, not in prayer and his word, not looking to him, then we're like a branch disconnected from the vine. So his life isn't flowing through us, so there's not fruit coming out of us. See, I think a very practical application of this is a lot of times we attack our problems at the fruit level instead of the root level. You got marriage problems or some other kind of relationship problem? Don't just attack it at the fruit level. Go to the root level, the heart level. Begin to abide in Christ and let Him produce His love and joy and peace and those other things in you. And and if two people will do that, you'll be positioned to solve any relationship problem. But if you just attack it at the fruit level and you're still full of you instead of full of Jesus, you're probably not actually going to solve the problem. If you're trying to attack an addiction at the fruit level. No, start at the root level, the heart level. Don't try to do it on your own. Do it in dependence on Christ. Christ living through us. Listen, you can't solve stuff. You can't build good relationships with good intentions. It comes from being the right person. And if we're sinners, the only way to be the right person is to experience both the forgiveness of and the power of Christ indwelling us, living through us, living in connection and communion with him. Fourth, spend time in the word of God. Notice what he says, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Psalm 1, Joshua 1, the Bible promises a fruitful, prosperous, successful life from God's perspective to the one who meditates on, delights in, and obeys the word of God. Listen, you can't abide in Jesus without abiding in his word. There's no shortcut. So maybe a very practical thing you could do is, you know, get new version on your phone or whatever device you use. If you don't have it, and find one of the reading plans. It doesn't have to be you version, but that's an easy way to do it. And spend time in God's word. We can't abide in Christ without abiding in his word. And then pray again. He says, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. The the way this connects to answered prayers, the more we abide in Christ, the more we have his heart, his mind, the more we're going to pray according to his will. And when we pray according to his will instead of our will, that's when our prayers are answered. He says, abide in him. And then last thing, and I'll just hit this quickly. The increase of bearing fruit is pruning by the Father. Now, I think the reason it's important to to mention this is pruning is painful, right? Pruning involves shears or clippers or something like that. I mean, why why is God doing this to us so we can bear more fruit? And glorify him more. What he says in verse 6 is if we don't bear fruit, it's a sign that we're not really a Christian and and that we're lost. But he says in the first couple of verses, when we're fruitful, he prunes us so we bear more fruit. So uh, sometimes you ever feel like, like life's going really great and God's using you and then all of a sudden you hit a difficult season? Maybe a season of pruning. And they're no fun, but God uses them Incredibly. Listen, if we're in sin, 
God's going to discipline us in order to make us more fruitful. But if we're bearing fruit, he's going to work on us. He's going to cut some uh, stuff away in order to make us more fruitful. You know, sometimes people wonder, man, it seems like, you know, I'm a Christian, but I know a bunch of non-Christians that, you know, it seems like their lives are a lot smoother than mine. It may be because God's pruning you now. Their judgment's coming in eternity. You know, what's God's purpose? Look for God's purpose when we go through difficulties. But ultimately, it shows us that we have a loving Heavenly Father who, working through Jesus and working through the Holy Spirit, is is shaping us and cutting things away and and molding us and transforming us to make us like Jesus, uh, to make us a witness for Christ, and to make us people who glorify Him, to make our lives fruitful, to make our lives uh, count for eternity so we're not just living Listen, he didn't save you just to give you a fire insurance policy to go to heaven. He saved you for your life to be fruitful, for your life to count, for your life to make a difference, for your life to glorify him. And again, not something we can do. We don't live the Christian life in our own strength any more than we can save ourselves. It's Christ in me. Without me, he said, without him, we can do nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. It's Christ living in us and through us. This is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Are you crucified with Christ? Have you died to yourself, repented of your your sins, and and, are trusting Him? Has He made you alive in Him? And if so, are you abiding in Him, walking with Him, living in communion with Him? If you're not, you're missing out on the greatest privilege of your life. God incarnate wants to live in communion with you and I. He wants our lives to count. Not just for now, for eternity. Let's not waste that privilege. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes if we could.